All right, welcome back, Hawkrits Podcast, episode 132. I'm Travis Shadon. We're going to get started here shortly, but first, Coach's Corner is our title sponsor here on the Hawkrits Podcast, and we want you guys to check them out this football season. We got the Falcons in full swing, college football underway, Braves making a playoff chase, and a lot more. A lot of good things happening at Coach's Corner at 3016 East Victory Drive. I want you to go and tell them the Hawkrits Podcast sent you. Whenever you go, tell your bartender, tell your server, tell owner John Henderson. Tell them we sent you and they will hook it up. Call ahead your order at 912-352-2933. Also check out the other shows on the Coach's Corner Sports Network. It's Rubbin' and Grubbin' with Brandon Bain every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. That's the NASCAR show archived on YouTube. Um, You can also find Carl DeMossi's local sports show on his Facebook page archived on YouTube. On the Coach's Corner Facebook page, that's Saturday mornings and Wednesday nights. He's also doing a Thursday um, high school coaches rundown, previewing the high school football every week. 19th hole with the Herb Brothers. Once a year for the Masters, you guys can find them uh, on YouTube at Savannah Masters. That's their channel. Um, and then who is on First Base Baseball Podcast with Kyle Lawson and our guy Carl. You can find that on TuneIn. Or wherever else you get your podcasts, best place to go is the Coach's Corner Facebook page. Like that page, and they'll keep you up to date with everything. But also, go to Coach's Corner in person and tell them we sent you. All right, let's get after it for a 132nd time. Hot Grits Podcast. I've always kind of believed in aliens. I don't know if I believe in flying saucers. You might as well just walk up to Cupid while he's on his lunch break, you know, crank his heat or something, and yeah. him right in the face. Punch the little baby right in. We'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast, and yet to bring up not one sport. Alright, welcome back. Episode 132, uh, Season 7, Episode 12. Not sure why we're doing the seasons and episodes still, but we'll stick with it. Uh, September 13th, if you're listening to this one on time. Man, what a weekend of football it was. So that's what we'll do most of the show on today. We'll, we'll do a lot of football talk. Of course, we got to have Mike Anthony on to talk a little Georgia Southern as they knocked off Nebraska. Don't know if you guys heard or not. Georgia Southern beat Nebraska on Saturday night and the Sun Belt. Uh, basically basically became the best conference in football for like six hours there on Saturday afternoon. So we'll talk all about that coming up. But uh, the Braves, we got to start with the Braves, right? They're 87-53 and 53 now. As I record this Monday night, they're about to play three in San Francisco. Then they'll play three versus Philadelphia. Might want to talk to Mike about the Phillies as well. Um, Braves are a game back from the Mets. Like I say, as I record this, one game back in the loss column. Uh, they lost two of three in Seattle. And, like, I think, obviously, the number one thing coming out of that series is Kenley Jansen and his status. As the Atlanta Braves closer, I don't think, like, you can really talk about the Braves right now, you know, the last two weeks without bringing up Kenley Jansen first. Uh, he hasn't been great. Like, I've been a defender of Kenley Jansen, but, I, you know, I pride myself on always being willing to change my mind based on you know what I see and what I watch and right now Kenley Jansen is absolutely struggling no way around it no way around it right now and honestly it's the one part of a baseball team that is nearly guaranteed to make the playoffs like they're going to the playoffs right this is the one part of a playoff team that you don't want to have questions about in mid-September like if you got an injury at first base, or in the Braves' case, an injury at second base with Ozzy Albies, or if your middle relief is struggling, you don't think you got a lefty off the bench, all these sort of little things, like you, you can piece your way around them. I mean, look at the what the Braves did last year. They had a lot of flaws on that team, even when they got hot down the stretch. There were flaws, for sure. But the closer spot... Damn, that's the one spot you don't want to have questions at, you know, heading into the playoffs. 
but especially down the stretch here of the regular season because the moment that you make a move there at closer, closer is the most comfy role on a Major League Baseball roster. It's not easy. It's not an easy job, but I'll be damned if it's not comfortable. I mean, you know from the time that you wake up in the morning, you know whether you're going to pitch or not. Essentially, if you're a closer, if it's the fifth or sixth inning and the game is within three runs, plus or minus three runs either way, you start getting loose. Start walking around. Plug the headphones in. You start getting ready. But if you're not a closer, like say, Rysel Iglesias, AJ Minter, you got to always be ready, man. Always be ready. You don't know when you're coming in the game. I mean, you might know kind of, but you could warm up in the sixth. Then the starter gets out of it. Then you're back warming up in the eighth. But but the Braves score a run, so, you, so they sit you back down. But then you end up got, having to pitch in the tenth. So it's like two and a half hours real time of like being very uncomfortable. If the Braves move Kenley Jansen out of that comfort role right now in mid-September, there is no going back. Right? I mean, there's no going... You, you, don't, you can't make the change in the regular season... Uh, you can't react to a regular season stretch of games to Kenley Jansen and then plug him back in there for the NLDS or plug him back in there whenever you feel like it. Once you make the move, it's over. I mean, every, and also everyone knows Kenley Jansen won't be back on the Braves next season. He's on a one-year deal. But as a guy that's never had to worry about, I mean, at least since he's been established, he's never had to worry about pitching in the seventh. Rysel Iglesias has, and Brian Snicker is not going to do it. He's not going to bail on Kenley Jansen. He probably should. I don't know if he should or not, Like, but I'm willing to be convinced now. He probably should make a move with Kenley Jansen. The earlier the better because then you just give him more time to get used to it. So that's the number one concern right now, I would say, for the Braves. But even that, like, look, they're 87-53. and 53. They're only one back. The Mariners aren't, aren't the bad news bears. They're a playoff club. They're a good team. San Francisco sucks ass. So they got to go on and win the series in San Francisco and then take care of business at home versus Philadelphia this weekend. Then the Nationals. Those are two teams that, I, I mean, Philadelphia is good, but it's not too much to ask to win a home series against them. And then the Nationals, you really want to have beat up on them early next week. Before we move on, though, from the Braves, I want to let you guys hear this about uh, Kenley Jansen. Listen to how annoyed Brian Snicker is about even being asked about Kenley Jansen struggling in the closer's role. This was Sunday night after the Braves had come back in miraculous fashion, thanks to one Bob Grossman, Robbie Grossman, uh, helping lead the Braves back in an all-time, really what, what could have been an all-time comeback was ruined by Kenley Jansen's two-homer ninth inning and blown save. But listen to how annoyed Brian Snicker is here. A really short clip from Snicker on Sunday night after Kenley Jansen blew the save. Kenley's struggles kind of t- continue to He's had the last five outings, he's had three saves. He's pretty good Friday night. He's had bad days all. He's leading the league in saves. Uh, I mean, yeah, he leads the league in saves. Pretty sure he leads the league in blown saves now, too. And also, he's given up seven runs in his last seven appearances. Uh, like, I think he's only gotten three outs in two of those appearances. This is a, a, a prolonged stretch now of him struggling. So I don't like that Brian Snicker, like, you know, immediately went to that. It doesn't surprise me, however. It does not surprise me because Snicker's going to stay with his guy. For better or worse, that's who he is. That's who Brian Snicker is. This, this response from him is as cliche Brian Snicker as it gets. Remember what he did with Will Smith last year? God, remember that experience? It felt like it was around this same time of year, too. Will Smith was always a question going into the playoffs, and Snicker stuck with Smith. The Braves won a World Series, and Smith was... A, an above-average closer down the stretch and in the playoffs. So, so, like, if you're Brian Snicker, it's not like you're only going off of what happened last year. 
You're not saying, oh, Will Smith did it, so this is what's going to happen with Kenley Jansen. But this guy has like 60 years in baseball, in pro baseball. He's established the way that he does things and the way that he looks at things, and we can disagree with it all we want. But the fact is that, you know, for my money, there ain't no way in hell Brian Snicker removes Kenley Jansen from the closer's role. Period. End of story. All right, time to talk a little football, but before we do, Sweet Potatoes Kitchen, a new sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast, Savannah's number one Southside lunch spot. Like, I don't even know that that's up for debate anymore. 531 Stevenson Avenue or 912-352-3434 if you want to call ahead your order. Steve Magulius, the owner over there on Stevenson Avenue at Sweet Potatoes, has like not only a unique lunch and dinner experience over there, but it's quality. That's the number one word I think of when I think of Sweet Potatoes Kitchen. Quality food, quality people, quality service, everything, top-notch, and you don't have to deal with any traffic. You pull right into your parking spot, walk in, get filled up, and go on your way. Monday, 11 to 3 p.m., then Tuesday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m., 531 Stevenson Avenue, Check them out on Facebook, Sweet Potatoes Kitchen. Go like their page, and when you go in, tell them the Hot Grits podcast sent you. All right, it was a crazy, crazy week one of the NFL football season. Not going to spend too long on this, but we have some notable results that we got to wrap up here. New Orleans 27, Atlanta 26. Holy shit, the Falcons... The Falcons, man. This will be a bad team all season long. But I don't think they're going to be boring. If it was anything like Sunday's game, it won't be boring. Uh, the Birds were up 16. 16 points with 12.40 left in the fourth quarter. They were outscored 17 to nothing by Jameis Winston and the New Orleans Saints in the final 12.40 of the game. Uh, the Falcons had four sacks. They allowed zero sacks. They rushed for 200 yards. And they were winning by 16 points in the fourth quarter. They lost. They lost. I don't know how that's possible, but I know that it, it, like, if you're going to tell me that stat line and, and that comeback without telling me the two teams... I'd put the Falcons definitely on the, on the side where they're blowing that lead. You don't see the Falcons coming back from... You don't see anyone coming back from that lead too often. So that... I mean, that's that's sort of, I, I guess, a prism into what we can expect from the Birds this year. I thought it was funny, Arthur Smith uh, talking about the media. Oh, the media wrote us off in May. They, they wrote our obituary in May, so they can keep writing us off. Well, no duh, Art. No duh, bro. You just blew a 16-point lead in the fourth quarter. If the obituary was written in May, it was written pretty perfectly, I think. Here lies the 2022 Atlanta Falcons. Once gave up a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. Once opened the 2022 season by blowing a 16-point lead to the New Orleans Saints, your biggest rival. Just like last season, Cordero Patterson is the best player on the team, which is not good. Which is not good. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't see how they get to four wins. I don't see how the Falcons get to four wins. Um, it was an entertaining start to the season for them. Although it wasn't a good one. They're at the Rams next week. A team coming off a loss that will probably be pissed. So they'll get to go see Matty Stafford and the defending Super Bowl champs next week. That's a late game. 425. Who knows if it'll be on TV in the Savannah area. I saw a bunch of people complaining about that yesterday that the, the, or Sunday that the Falcons were blacked out. That was probably for the best. That was probably for the best. Otherwise, there would have been a whole lot of people pissed off. More people pissed off than, than are right now. If there's one game in the world that you don't want people watching, you, that you want completely blacked out, it's a game in which you blow a 16-point lead. Um, my Dolphins 20 to seven over the Pats. Not going to like 
analyze or break down this game, but like I do think that the Patriots are like this will be the the season that we finally start saying, damn, that era, that run is over. So I mean they still made the playoffs last season. I don't think that's happening this year. If week one was any indication, like the Dolphins I thought looked awesome. I'm a little biased there, but I also think the Pats are probably just not that good. Should be noted now, Tua Tua four and versus the Bill Belichick Patriots as a starter. So that ain't nothing to sneeze at there, homie. Pittsburgh 23, Cincinnati 20. That was one of the wildest NFL games I've ever watched. I didn't tune in until the fourth quarter. But the fourth quarter and overtime alone were worth it. Back and forth, like the Bengals tried to give the game away 100,000 times. And they still had a chance to win it at the end. Um, There were like six challenges. The Bengals spent like 40 minutes real time in the red zone there at the end. And it felt like they kept getting a touchdown and then it kept getting reversed. Um, Their long snapper got hurt. Uh, all this and and the Steelers and Chris Boswell, their kicker, still barely won the game. That was the wackiest game of the weekend. We almost had two ties. The Texans and Colts, Matt Ryan's Colts, tied 20-20. to 20, And we were seconds away from having a, another 20-20 20 to, 20 to 20 tie. The NFL has never had two ties on the same day. We were within seconds of having two 20-20 ties on the same day, in the same time slot. So that would have been nuts. Didn't happen, but it would have been nuts. I got a little celebrity death of the week for you guys. I got to pick the queen, right? The queen of England. I did not know that the monarchy was even still a thing. So I'm definitely not a monarchy guy. But she earns the celebrity death of the week. Probably one of the more important accomplishments of the queen's life. The Hot Grits Podcast Celebrity Death of the Week. So rest in peace to that old bag. High school football this week. Uh, top six for you guys. Presented by Prep Sports Report. Check out PrepSportsReport.com. Free high school and local sports information for you. Whether you just want to find out who won and lost. Or if you want to kind of dig deeper into local athletes in this area. PrepSportsReport.com is the place to go. Find them on Twitter at PrepSAV. Uh, on Facebook, PrepSportsReport.com. And then I think Instagram is Prep Savannah, but you can just type in Prep Sports Report and find them all over social media. And again, it's free, completely free to read. So if you know somebody, like if you have family members or anybody playing local sports, high school sports, or even if they're in college or the pros now, if they're from Savannah, chances are that you can find information and stories about him or her on PrepSportsReport.com. Uh, BC lost again at Ware County this week. They dropped from number one in the Class 4A poll uh, for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They dropped from number one to number seven. And Ware County is number three in the state. I think that was a bit of an overreaction, but BC is two and two, so they are no longer my number one team in the Savannah six. I got Calvary one, Benedictine two, Savannah Christian three, New Hampstead four, Richmond Hill 5, and Evingham County makes an appearance this week at number 6. So that's what I got. I'll be over at Pooler Stadium this Friday night for Savannah Christian hosting Savannah Country Day. So you can check that out uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, at Jadon Sports. For updates on that one, there will also be a story right there on PrepSportsReport.com, and we'll have a roundup of all the other games in the area. New Hampshire at Richmond Hill this week. That's an interesting one. Um, let's see what else. Bethesda trying to go five and zero this week. If you're into that kind of thing, Johnson at Beach is another Region three three A game, and then Calvary also at Liberty County this week. So all of that on PrepSportsReport.com. All right, in the non-Georgia Southern college football world, uh, Mike and I will talk a little bit about some of these other games. Marshall knocking off Notre Dame, App knocking off Texas A and M. Of course, Georgia Southern knocking off Nebraska. Um, I, I'm not going to break down the UGA Sanford game. What I will say is, I've never seen that at the college level where they shortened the fourth quarter, uh, where both coaches came and agreed to shorten the fourth quarter to 12 minutes. I mean, I don't have a take on it. 
That's for sure, but that was wild. I mean, if you're an over better, you're probably pretty pissed about that. But I don't think the over was ever going to come into play. And, but but it wasn't like Georgia was beating Sanford 65 to nothing. I mean, it wasn't as lopsided as the Oregon game. Shit, had Oregon and Dan Lanning known that this was an option, they probably would have wanted to shorten the whole second half. Hey, Kirby, you mind if we just bang this at halftime? Just don't even come back out? If Oregon knew that was an option, they probably would have used it. So that was weird. Georgia at South Carolina this week. They're playing stinky, nasty, disgusting Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I don't wish living in Columbia on any human being. Any human being. Even my worst enemies. Maybe Mike Krzyzewski. He can go live in Columbia. But other than that, I wouldn't wish that place on anybody. Williams Bryce is a dump. And I like the dogs by 100 this week. I still can't get out of my mind what Shane Beamer said last year about Georgia just having so many five stars. Like They got five stars that can run faster than our receivers on their line. So he's probably not getting a lot of sleep this week. Um, I think Georgia gets Kent State after that? Question mark? Check me on that. But Georgia at South Carolina this week. Um, they're number one in the AP poll if you care about that kind of thing. It really doesn't matter at all. I mean, I think they're number one in the AP poll more because of what Texas did. Like, Texas this week, I've never seen a team get so much love for losing a game. That's how good Alabama has been. If you play them close, then, like, you get all this credit in the world. I still don't know how good they are. I just think it showed that Alabama was human, so the voters, um, and what is truly meaningless, moved Georgia to number one. In the AP poll this week, um, I would be remiss if I did not mention our guys at Savannah State. Head coach Aaron Kelton got his first win, not only at Savannah State, his first win as a college football head coach because he was 0-12 and 0-13, I believe, in his two previous seasons coaching college football. Savannah State beats Ed Waters 31-28. to Edward Waters picked to finish dead last in the SEAC conference. Savannah State with... A really, really uh, unimpressive, I guess is a, one, a nice way to put it. 31-28 to 28 win there at Eddie Waters in Jacksonville. Jaden Adams, the quarterback there for Savannah State, not even listed on the, that week's depth chart at quarterback from Islands High School. Uh, he led them to the victory, and he was also named, I think, the SEAC Offensive Player of the Week. So congrats to Jaden Adams for that. I still don't think Savannah State is, is in for a very good season. And I think that the week one loss to a Southeastern team that we can pretend like Southeastern is really good, they're actually really good for an NAIA team. Heard that a couple times this week. Bro, kick rocks with that. They're an NAIA team. It's like saying it's the hottest girl in the trailer park. You got whooped by them. Like, let's not... Give them too much credit. Maybe look inward and, and say, hey, we play like shit. We should never lose to an NAI team, let alone 34-14. to 14. But it's good news this week. They won 31-28. to 28. So hail Savannah State for that win. They're 1-1 one one now. Heading into next week and, and heading into SEAC play soon enough. All right. A quick word from a sponsor, and then we'll get to Mike Anthony talk a little Georgia Southern football. All right, let's talk John Carr, the number one realtor in the world and a good sponsor of ours here on the Hawk Ritz podcast. John Carr Realtor at Seaport Real Estate, your guy if you're buying or selling real estate in the Savannah market. Call or text him today, 912 228 0916. That's 912-228-0916. Like I said, if you're buying real estate, if you're selling real estate, if you just want to learn more about the market, John is your guy, born and raised here, and knows this area like the back of his hand. Uh, he wins Realtor of the Month at Seaport every month, it seems like, and for good reason. He is selling real estate, folks. So call or text him today and tell him Hot Grits sent you. 912-228-0916 or Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, John Carr, the number one realtor. 
and a good sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. All right, let's talk some Georgia Southern football now. This is an impromptu Mike Anthony appearance on the Hot Grits Podcast. I cannot let Georgia Southern beat a Power 5 Nebraska team and then go a week without talking to Mike Ye, a world-renowned Georgia Southern alum and Georgia Southern fan. So, Mike, uh, thanks for joining me. And where does this rank in terms of all-time Georgia Southern wins? Whew, uh, well, first off, good to be back. Um, I guess the good thing is that Georgia Southern has been racking up enough notable wins here lately, uh, maybe not last year, but in the last decade or so, to where it actually gets to be a little bit of a, a chore to, to figure out where all of them rank. Um, I still think that if you're internally looking into Georgia Southern, if you're just a fan and only concerned about Georgia Southern, I think that the Florida game is probably still number one just because it legitimized them as a, a good program on their way out the FCS door, kind of welcomed them into uh, uh, FBS. I think the same could be said for not nearly as notable of a, a team, but just the UL Monroe game from the next year that clinched the first ever 8-0 conference run in a team's first season yeah. at the top level. So I think, you know, in those regards, if you're just a Georgia Southern historian – that's way up there, but uh, you're you know, putting but you're putting 2013 Florida that win over the win against Nebraska. I I think so. You know, if it would have been no a ranked chance, dog. Team, There's no chance. I mean, it's it's all in the eye of the beholder. I just think that you know if that had been a top ten Nebraska team, we're singing a different song right now. Okay, but, I, I hear that, but here's okay, and I wrote this in my comments. It, it wasn't a good Florida team, but. You know, for no, uh, you weren't covering Georgia Southern yet at that point, but that was the biggest knock that uh, the only the only stone that anyone had to throw at Georgia Southern was that you had already had App State beating Michigan. You would have had every single year these uh, FCS teams would knock off a power, sometimes even a ranked team, and the only thing that they could throw back at Georgia Southern and their then leading six national championships was, well, you guys have never beaten an FBS team, and they literally did it on their last shot. So I think that for a lot of people who have been through the program in the entire modern era, that that was kind of like the one last thing that they hadn't done yet. And they did it. Yeah. But that, that, and I wrote this this week, that win against Florida was unquestionably. And you just said this, that was the end of an era and a, a like a nice exclamation point on Georgia Southern's FCS era. This was, mm-hmm. this was, absolute validation of an entire like program change philosophy coaching shit ton of players all of that is basically like four months old right and they just went to nebraska and won a 23 point dog if you want to put it in terms of dollars and cents or how much it moves now the national media needle or the social media needle yes of course saturday is going to be bigger there's more eyes on it it was a national broadcast Regardless of uh, all the turmoil with Nebraska, that was still a storied program from a power conference. And Georgia Southern didn't just go in there and eke it out. They didn't get a couple of calls or a couple big plays. Nebraska didn't implode. Georgia Southern just kicked their ass for the most part. Yeah, they just went toe-to-toe with them. And like that's the number one thing that is different about this team than any other Georgia Southern team basically in history is that you have the ability to now like win that type of game. I know Georgia Southern has won high-scoring games before as an option team, but they, they it would have never ever happened, at least in that regard. If you're running that that offense, like they now have an ability to answer quickly. Like most of their drives, Mike, most of Georgia Southern's drives in that Nebraska game, it's not like they were getting like great field position. I mean, they were no, starting they most were- of their drives around their own thirty, like just a standard typical spot. And yep. then they just went the length of the field. They had chunk plays. They had long yep. drives. They had quick drives. Um, well, I, jo- I joked uh, for most of the night that, you know, it looked like it was Van Treese and Singleton and Burgess running like the three-man globetrotter weave down the field. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so I guess we can start. Well, let, let's, let me ask you this real quick. What do you think, like, old head Georgia Southern fans would say about comparing that win to an FCS national title? Like, wh- is that even – like, is that stupid to even try to compare them? 
I think that, you know, you're definitely, it It wouldn't take too long in Statesboro to find someone who would still claim that. I would not be one of them. Wait, um, not be I'm, one of what? Like you think that a Nebraska the win is, that, uh, that says that a national title at FCS is better than what they're doing now. Is Okay, um, so you think the Nebraska win bigger than an FCS natty, natty yeah, win? Yeah, especially when so like you said comparing two different eras and now on top of that what fcs has become i mean they're they're pressing hard to even get airtime for the national championship when you know back in georgia southern and app state today they weren't getting a lot of notoriety but there were at least 10 good teams out there kind of battling it out instead of for the last five years it's just been oh this is the time of year where uh, north dakota state plays james madison yeah all right so i want to talk um we're going to keep talking nebraska Georgia Southern 2-0. They're at UAB 1-1 this week, 3.30 Eastern time um, on the world-renowned network of Stadium. They're on Stadium this week, whatever the fuck that means. Um, so I, I want to I talk about UAB, Mike, but we, there's still plenty to, to wrap up from this Nebraska game. Um, first, I think we have to let our listeners hear these two calls from the Georgia Southern radio network from Danny Reed and Terry Harvin. Um, so the first one you'll hear is when Kyle Vantrese ran in from six yards out to essentially win the game, the game winner. And then the next clip you'll hear is probably one of the greatest calls in Georgia Southern football history, I think. like it's, it's rapid reaction, but I think it's safe to say that. The next call you'll hear is when Nebraska misses the, the long field goal and Georgia Southern wins the game, and Terry Harvin comes in and says, I love corn at the end. So, all right, let's listen to these two calls, Mike. Um, Danny Reed, Terry Harvin on the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Eagles have one power five victory all time at Florida in 2013. They've been so close so many times. Time to take a bigger bite out of this corn stalk. White out of the backfield, left five wide. Draw a play. Van at the five. Van stretches, and he scores. Wings up, Eagle Nation! Touchdown, Georgia Southern! Kyle Van from eight yards out! The Eagles take the lead with 36 seconds left! The snap, the spot, the kick. It's on its way. It is... No good. No good! No good! No good! It is well with Marshall and Lincoln! The Eagles have come to the Sea of Red and painted it true blue. 45 to 42, it's a final as they celebrate on the field. I love corn. Take a picture, write a headline, fill a glass, and hug whoever you can find. Georgia Southern's coming home with a power five win. So what about those calls, Mike? Where do we start with that? Uh... Terry Harvin or Danny Reed and Terry Harvin are absolute gems. I mean, Georgia Southern fan, we've talked about this before. They are lucky to have that. And Russ Brown too, on the sidelines, like they do a really good job. And Danny Reed, like the excitement in his voice and the way he closes that out. Like what does he say about the headline thing? Like write your headlines, find someone to hug, drink a beer or something. something. See that? That's what I think makes Danny so great because if you have a chance to talk to him, he's always got that, you know, low projected announcer voice, even when he's not calling a game. Yeah, real but, logical, real measured, like well but stats. yeah, in terms of volume, in terms of anything. Well, yeah. Um, you can hear the good announcer voice in there no matter what, but uh I think that's what makes him really good and on a, that next level is that when he dials it up to eleven, I mean you'd think he was about to fall out of the box. I remember you and I hearing him through, I believe, several panes of glass, the Camellia Bowl on the uh, the walk-off kick there oh is about the same level of excitement. And then you combine that with Terry, whether intentional or not, the guy just has great comedic timing. Uh, so well, he, Terry, Terry is just like – I mean, there might as well not be a microphone in front of him. He's just going to say whatever he would say when there isn't a mic in front of him. The whole right, game right. he was complaining about, he kept spilling his coffee. Uh, yep. And – Dude, and then the I love corn thing. I love corn. The I love corn thing is an all-timer. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I love corn. He might, he might lie to you now that he's uh, getting famous online for it, but I would bet 
most of the money in my pocket right now that uh, he just kind of stumbled into that one and then rolled with it. Yeah. I love corn. Yeah. Forget the coffee. I want the corn. So wait, so where does the, uh, where does the Danny Reed call or the Georgia Southern sports network, that call Um, Um, like in recent memory, like bass swings was pretty solid, but, but it wasn't that. Yeah, no, that was a good one. Um, You know, the, the call with, uh, uh, former play-by-play guy Chris Blair at the Florida game. That was good. Yeah, I think uh, you might have to go dig this one out of the archives. I don't know if you ever heard it, but the Logan Baldwin Grand Slam in the ninth inning of the SoCon – or not SoCon, uh, Sunbelt uh, baseball tournament when Georgia Southern hosted it back in, what, 2016? No, i never to- heard that. I've never heard that call. Are you talking oh. about from Dan- – or was that from Danny or Chris? No, that was from Danny. Um and it was weird because even though it was at uh, Georgia Southern, uh, we were the home team or the weight team in that game because of seeding. And well, because five the Sun Belt just doesn't know how to work a baseball tournament. We could do a yeah. whole podcast on that. Stupid. Yeah, shit. but you don't need to get the rest of the Sun Belt started on that tournament because apparently it only ever rains in Statesboro, even though it was raining everywhere uh, else. That we could do. No comment. Yeah, they were in the bottom of the ninth, down five to one. Came back to make it what five to two, and then Baldwin hit a grand slam. Well, yeah, but we're not putting that. I mean, I I've never heard that call, but let's be real. Like uh, until Travis has heard it, it can't possibly compete. No, but Mike, <laughs> is it comparable to what happened Saturday yeah. night? It is. Yeah, and honestly, and honestly, what they okay. did a couple days later would have made uh, would have made the top three at least in my book when uh, they did the same thing against South Alabama hitting a three-run home run again in the top of the ninth, but they couldn't hang on. If they would have hung on and won that tournament, that call would have been an all-timer. Okay, well, if I can find it, I'll cut it in right here. (laughs) But if not, then I'm going to go – okay, well, then at least for football purposes, this was better than Bass Swings at the Camellia Bowl? Yeah, I think so. I think so too, man. I think so too. I like when they they make the call and and like you can hear – like Danny's yelling and screaming into the mic and telling you what's going on, but you can hear everyone else in the booth just losing their shit. Like yeah. things falling apart. I love that kind of thing. And maybe um, it isn't great because it's not jumping right out to me, or maybe it's because my entire brain was just frozen by that point. But I do not recall what Danny's reaction was to the, uh, the Halloween massacre up at Boone. Well, see, that game was su- such a beatdown that it was like – well, even though it came down to the last couple of plays, it ended up being a three-point game. But I think you're right. I think so much energy went into the first two and a half hours of it that even though it's exciting at the end, we were kind of already operating at that high level. There wasn't the right, – right, yeah, right. Like the biggest plays of that game came not at the very end, I don't think, unless I'm like misremembering no, that. It was, it was basically them just trying to, to hold off a last drive or two. And then at the end, it was kind of, I don't know uh, – West Kennedy and Wirtz. Yeah, well, there was like a penalty. It got backed up past midfield to where you couldn't attempt a, a field goal or a Hail Mary, so it was kind of just uh, over with a thud instead of a bang. Yeah. Um, 2018, App State, uh, when Georgia Southern knocked off App's number 25 App State uh, in Statesboro, I think th- that was a great call and a great play, but it was early in the game. It was the play action deep pass to uh, – Big play DA, DA uh-huh. big play Darian Anderson. I remember that one because I, I, I was at you know I'm in the press box with you and and I could hear Danny's call of that play like as it was happening. I think also from that game we'd have to step away from Georgia Southern Sports Properties, but also during that game uh, the sideline interview with oh yeah the, the audible f bomb on the air as Georgia Southern picks one off that that's a oh good. that was the App State running back that was hurt right. Yeah, he had broken his leg the week before and just saw it. And then you could see even better, like, his eyes light up realizing what he just did. Oh, no. Poor guy. Poor uh, guy. Um, well, so App State had a big win this week. I mean, I think it's notable to say this. And most people don't realize App State was 19, 20-point dog to te- at Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Marshall was, I believe, an 18-and-a-half 18 point dog at Notre Dame. Georgia That's Southern right. was a Georgia Southern was a 23 point dog at Nebraska. How did how the hell did that happen? But I mean, uh, like, so what do you take away from those two games? 
I do think it's it's the Sun Belt is starting to do that thing, which is a good thing now that the SEC fans have always done, which is like where you hate every every other team except for when it's non-conference games. And then all of a sudden, Georgia Southern and App State fans are collaborating together online with Marshall fans. Like now the Sun Belt is like puffing its chest out as a conference. That hasn't happened a lot. Yeah, I don't think that you're going to hear any SBC chants anytime soon. Not yet. But uh, it, it seems like, especially with Georgia Southern, because they're pretty loud online to begin with. But what I saw was a lot of Saturdays spent with the Sun Belt fan bases combining forces to just absolutely drag anyone and everyone they could find. Yeah. And then all the numbers coming out about like uh, how much each team paid, like Georgia Southern made like $1.2 million mm-hmm. to beat Nebraska. And now Georgia yep. Southern's got blood on its hands, man. They got Scott Frost fired. That's right. That, uh, whew. and you see that they, all they had to do is wait, what, 10 more days or something. They could have fired him for half the money. No, I didn't know that, but Dude, I, I saw the press release that said, I, I fucking hate when schools do this. This only really happens in college sports. The press release announcing, this is what it could say. Nebraska and Scott Frost have parted ways, or Nebraska has fired Scott Frost. Instead, it, it's the athletic director um, for Nebraska releasing this graphic that's like, I met with Coach Frost today and informed him we are making a, dis- a change in leadership for our football program. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, you fired him, bro, because you just gave up the most yards ever in your home stadium. Uh, he's yeah, only- you got you got to take it easy. Trev Alberts wasn't capable of writing that. If it wasn't for guys like you and me getting jobs writing it all fancy <laughs> like that, that's his honest. name. That's his name. You know what? When your name is Trev, you 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 have one choice. You're the Nebraska AD. That's it. Yeah. yeah. That and I'm not expecting uh, eloquent prose from a Trev. No, never, dude. You're expecting like uh, like Garth Brooks karaoke or something, mm-hmm. which is not good also, just to be clear. <laughs> um, so, Mike, what happens now? Like, I can't shake the feeling, and maybe you can be, um, maybe you can be like glass half full, Mikey, here. Mm-hmm. I can't shake the feeling that UAB is going to win by like 10. <laughs> well, I mean, they're definitely a good team, and – and they're favored, you know, but they opened as a 13-point favorite, which is yeah, stupid. Which, and they just laid an egg last week. They, If you look at the stats, they lined up pretty well with Liberty. They even, Yeah, but Liberty's tough, Mike. I mean, Georgia good. Southern can attest to that. Yeah, and, you, you know, who, who's to say how it's going to go? Because the, the line on UAB is that they're big and strong, maybe even a little bit bigger in spots than Northwestern's front was. So how can the Eagles stand up to that? But – you know, you can't really compare the two because look at App State. They gave up about seven and a half miles worth of offense to UNC, who had everything uh, it wanted with Georgia State last week. And then you walk into Kyle Field, and granted, uh, Texas A&M has a lot to prove, but Jimbo Fisher is one of the better-renowned offensive coaches, and they ran like 33 plays. They couldn't keep their offense on the field, and App looks like the 76 Steelers out there. Yeah, uh, Texas A&M made App look really, really, really good. I mean, the week before against Carolina, I thought, like, I still came away impressed by App State. North Carolina is what it is. They're just going to give up 1,000 points, but they, they they have a top 15 offense in the country, top 10 offense in the country, I, I'm going to guess by season's end. Yeah, the thing I was concerned about in the UNC game, like you said, a lot of talent, a lot of, a lot of boxes to check off if you're going to contain those guys, but that's something that usually you see out of App is they've got – athletes and they're usually not out of position but that's what I saw against North Carolina and I was thinking that would be an issue but they uh they definitely um you know they say some of the best improvements between week one and week two and that was definitely the case for the App State defense yeah and by the way just a note on North Carolina they might play at Savannah State next week they might come to Savannah and play at Savannah State next week what are they doing playing opening their season at App State and at Georgia State I'm not sure. I mean, Wait, I think lost the, the bet? it, yeah, well, I can understand Georgia state just because of the recruiting hotbed of Atlanta and how you want to get your team out there. You know, yes. coach probably slipped away to see some recruits in the Metro area the night before as for North Carolina. I don't know. I think that, uh, 
you know, Georgia Southern fans get a little salty and probably rightfully so because after the last few contests with Georgia Tech and Georgia, neither of them are in any hurry to, uh, to mess with Georgia Southern anytime soon. And it seems like there's not much intervention from a legislation or a board of regents. Whereas when you get up a little farther north, you know, you've got the Virginias and the Carolinas where it seems like there's a little bit of a, a thumb being put down on some of the bigger schools to, to get out there and play some of the other schools that they might not really want to. Yeah. Um, all right, let's cut in real quick and let uh, our listeners hear what Clay Helton had to say. Um, this is a clip from Monday's press conference. Uh, our guy Nathan Dominitz asks him a question about basically what is this year's Georgia Southern? Because, um, you know, a lot of people are thinking it's the same old Georgia Southern and it really isn't. So let's let um, our listener hear what Clay Helton said on Monday afternoon. Uh, the way the, the program was looked at, it's a new coach, new coaching staff, a lot of new players, not all new players, a lot of new players coming off a 3 9 uh, season. Are people now getting a, a, a sense of who Georgia Southern is this year and who, who is Georgia Southern this year? Because people are still remembering old Georgia Southern. Um, you know, our ultimate goal is we said we wanted to be the national story. We want to create a national brand and to be able to do that. You have to do special things. Uh, and that was one step forward is to be able to go into a traditional national power and win that football game on the road second time in school history. You have to do those things to earn respect and to build resume. But the, remember, the importance is the overall resume, and that's the message to everybody, especially our football team, um, is each you have to stay locked into the moment and try to go 1-0 each week. I know that's cliche. I know it's coach talk. But when you're trying to do build something and build something that's going to be special and build something that can last, you have to be successful over a season. Um, and so to be able to do that, you better be locked into the moment. Uh, you better be worried about a UAB team that's extremely talented uh, and produces some you know, issues with their physical style run game and be locked into that moment because at the end, they're going to add them all up and they're going to see what type of team you are at the end of the season. Um, right now, we've proven ourselves as a, as a team that um, has garnered some respect, has, has garnered the opportunity to be talked about. But uh, we can't let that go to our heads. We've got a job to do, and that job is in Birmingham. All right, so there's a little of what I was talking about earlier, Mike. Like this game against UAB, Georgia Southern like is doing what it wanted to do. Obviously, like it's be, it's on the mouths of national college football folks this week. But it could all come, you know, kind of crashing down. I guess like a loss at UAB, as I think it's eleven and a half right now. The line is a loss there isn't like the end of the world, but it, it, it would definitely dampen what happened at Nebraska. If like if Georgia Southern can pass this test, then I'm ready to say that like all of the things we complained about under the Chad Lunsford regime, which I think the most notable thing about. And correct me if you disagree, Mike, the most notable thing about Lunsford's era was you couldn't win the game or games you were supposed to win after winning games that you weren't supposed to win. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. I mean, two years in a row, they knock off a ranked team and then turn around and uh, just lay an egg the next week. And, uh, you know, as far as where the team is, what it means for them right now, I think you've got two ways to look at it. Uh, you know, if you're Coach Heldon, if you're the team, I think that you've already passed a bar and set a new bar in terms of confidence, in terms of morale. Now, like Helton said, obviously just because you had success and proved you could do it once doesn't mean that anyone's going to lay, lay down for you or that it's going to come easy. But in terms of where a lot of those guys probably were hanging their heads at three and nine last year, uh, hearing all the buzz about the new teams coming in, seeing uh, an FCS move up and some new faces getting ranked over them repeatedly in the preseason, I think the win did a lot. Uh, uh, for getting over any lingering doubts they may have had about themselves. Um, on the other side, though, when you look at the bigger picture for the program, now I think uh, people are kind of walking on eggshells and they would love to have a home game. I think it might be better that they have to go on the road because that'll be you know, 24 hours less that they're in Statesboro to get uh, too many attaboys and too many congratulations. They get to start that business trip and try to take care of things uh, a day earlier than they would. Uh, however, program-wise, if they were to win this one and come back, that's where 
you really win on that end. You're going to sell more tickets. It's going to be a madhouse when Ball State comes to town. So, yeah, I think if you're running the financials or if you're just a, a fan that wants to look good on TV with high attendance numbers, able to catch the camera's eye, able to go viral, that's where you're really hoping that they can back it up this week so that you have something to really beat your chest about and uh, uh, brag to everybody about and show the world when you finally get back home in a couple weeks. Yeah. And, um, and look, Georgia Southern, like UAB is a, is, is a good test, to be clear. Mike, can I read off some of the names on the UAB uh, preseason roster? Because they might be in contention for um, the best name roster in all of football. I mean, I'm just looking okay. at this. They got four or five guys on the all-name team. All right. Um, let's see. Let's start. Okay. We'll start with Fish McWilliams at nose tackle. That's Fish McWilliams at nose tackle. There's, there's no way. I mean, obviously, it's a hint since he's nose tackle. But if your name is going to be Fish, it's three bills isn't enough. You got to be at least 325. And then a nice combo in the secondary, Starling Thomas the fifth. So that's a V at the end of the name. You don't see that too often. Uh-huh. Paired with Grayson Cash. Starling Thomas and Grayson Cash. Those are two athlete names. Um, that's, that sounds like a kind of shady sports agency. Oh, like Cash and Thomas V? Well, uh, Starling Cash. Thing? Starling Thomas, Grayson Cash, LLC. Uh, what about Tyler Taylor? Oh, that's good. I mean, come on, dude. Your parents, like, you got to be better than that. Tyler Taylor. That's that's a low-energy uh, birth certificate. Yeah, somewhere Fish McWilliams' parents are just laughing their ass off. <laughs> Tyler Taylor. Um, well, none of those, none of the other ones really match up, but those are some, those are some top-tier ones. Uh, UAB is super good, though. Dwayne McBride at running back, really good. Um, and I think that they probably – like they might have – in the non-conference at least, they might have the receivers – UAB might have receivers that can win one-on-one battles against the Georgia Southern secondary that, you know, for all the good things that have happened, I would say that that is still a concern there, that secondary for Georgia Southern. So I don't know, Mike, how, how much you've looked in to UAB versus, versus Georgia Southern, but is there anything like X's and O's wise – that you've heard or read or, or are looking for this week? I think that, you know, with the shift in defensive schemes this year and with an already kind of thin, at least as far as proving yourself in a game has gone uh, interior line and linebacking core, those guys are going to have to step up and they're probably going to need some help depth wise, roll in some fresh bodies. You got to have, got to find some new people that can, uh, that can really help you there. Uh, Because while I do think this uh, secondary is good. And while I think that, Pretty much all of them to a man. No, I've seen them hit. None of them are afraid about running up to the line and sticking their helmet in there. Although, mm-hmm. don't do that. Leave it your shoulder, guys. Uh, <laughs> but if you get a team with a big line like UAB has, and they start leaning on you and moving you, especially because the weather's still hot, you are going to need the fresh bodies to really be able to plug up space in the interior. So I think that's the first thing they have to win now. UAB, I think, is probably one of the more balanced teams that Georgia Southern's got left to face yeah. in terms of their offense. Um, you know, you look at stats and the way that modern offenses are going, you'll see a lot of equal yardage. But when you look at an app, you know that that outside zone is what they want to get to, even right. if it means that you know, go over the top. With Georgia State, they try to run the ball power a little bit, but they want to do it to get out on the edge and run that RPO. And there's the the preferred way of getting yardage and points and you know, Georgia Southern, to, uh, I think, was very similar. They, they needed to establish a run, but once they did that and forced uh, Nebraska to to step up a little bit, that's where Van Trees went to work, and that's where you could see everything start to click for him. I don't know if you're a big Jersey guy, or actually I do know that you're not, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Don't Doesn't Georgia Southern have to keep rolling with the blue, blue britches, white top combo? Man. Or do uh, you put it you to know, bed for a little bit? Well, if nothing else, what's been put to bed is the whole curse. You know, people believing in that. Georgia Southern famously not the best record wearing blue pants. Now, then you've got the pedants coming out of the uh, cornfields out there in Nebraska saying, well, it wasn't standard blue pants. It had Gatto on it. So does that mean it's an alternate uniform? And I don't know. I like the part where Ooh, the pants. I kind of like that. 
I I mean that's I've seen I've seen people get that crazy with defending what kind of uniform it really was. So that will be George doing that. They make a lot of lists for having the traditional uniforms and people like that about them. And while they only really do the alternate once a year and they retire them, I don't think they've reused any of them. I got to say, this is just my personal opinion. They've knocked it out of the park just about every time they've strayed away from the traditional stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I definitely agree. The teacher's college, the chrome chrome ones, uh, the the white helmets at App. The Halloween Halloween all-white kit at App was was so clean. Mm Mm-hmm. But you're right. It's not like they went back to that. Because eventually it'll come around again, and maybe you can, maybe you can uh, wake up some nightmares from an app or a rival when you <laughs> need to pull out a big one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of what Clay Helton's thinking about this week, something tells me that that's not at the top of his list. Um, but no, that's what we're here for, Mike. We can talk about those things because they matter. That's right. I don't need to worry about audibles or depth charts or injury reports. I get to worry about, uh, you know, who's putting on what pants and how many legs at a time they're doing it. Oh yeah. Injuries. That was shitty with, um, I mean, I don't, I don't, there's no official word yet. Sam Kenerson, that looked really, really bad. That's shitty. But at least <laughs> silver lining is that first four games of the year, I think he'll be able to take a medical. If it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He'll be able to do that. Um, Although I'm not sure he might have already had a medical. I, I want to say his freshman year, um, he got knocked out the first game he was in, or maybe the second game. I'm not sure how much playing time he got after that. But what he needs I to do, do is get in a room with Todd Bradley Glenn and fi- and just get the notes of how you do it. Because Todd Bradley's yeah. 36, and you know, he's still got four years left. Right with uh, with COVID, medical red shirts, and transfer portal, yeah. the NCAA has turned every one of its teams into BYU. Like all these kids are now uh, driving their work truck from their corporate job up to the stadium, <laughs> but they need the second job even with NIL because they got a wife and five kids to feed. Yeah. All right, Mike. Um, you want to tell people how they can follow you? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at the best Mike A. All right, you remember how to do this, right? You remember how we close the show? Ah, uh, no. Okay. All right, I'm gonna remind you, and I'll cut this part out. I promise. So I'm going to say stay safe and wash your hands, and then you say peace. Okay. You want to practice or no? No, I think I nailed it last time. Okay, okay, here we go. Until episode 133, stay safe, wash your hands, you filthy animals. Peace.
Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the Academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy, give him a call, 912-484-5282. Commercial and residential electrical services that you can trust. Braddy Electric is Savannah's number one electrical services for commercial and residentials since 1970. It's family owned and family operated. Reach them today at 912-233-1561 or 1104 East 35th Street. Braddy Electric, that's two D's, B-R-A-D-D-Y. Five stars on Yelp, five stars on Google reviews, and Savannah's number one electrical servicer since 1970. Call them today, 912-233-1561.